if you know your Bibles, and I know that many of you here do, you'll know that the Bible is a collection of 66 books, all inspired by God and made up of various types of writing. Within its pages, we have history, don't we? Biography, poetry, letters. And according to one Bible study tool that I use, at least 27% of the Bible is what is known as prophecy. Just in case any of you are not familiar with this term, prophecy is the style of writing that accurately predicts events that will happen in the future. Now it may seem obvious, but God can tell us through his word with perfect accuracy what is going to happen in the future because he exists outside of time. The Bible tells us that God does not experience time like we do. A year to us is like a thousand years to the Lord. And not only does God transcend time, he controls it. The God of the Bible is sovereign over everything. And as I'm sure we all know, this is a a time of the year where more people pay attention to Jesus than they usually would. It's a time of year where, where people focus on the promised Messiah who, who came and lived a perfect life and then willingly gave himself to die on the cross for sinners who repent and put their faith in him. Now this evening, it's that 27% part of the Bible that I want us to think about, biblical prophecy. Because remarkably, in plain sight, right before the eyes of those that killed Jesus, it was foretold in scripture exactly what was going to happen with regards to the death and resurrection of Christ. Perhaps most famously in Isaiah chapter 53, written approximately 700 years before the virgin birth of Jesus, it's here where we're told that Christ will be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We're told that it's upon his chastisement that will bring us peace. And of course, there are many prophecies about the cross. In the Old Testament, we're told that just like the Passover lamb, Christ would not have any of his bones broken, that the soldiers would end up casting lots over his clothes. And of course, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But the point here is that all of these events were written about within the pages of Scripture hundreds of years before these things actually came to pass. Yet the majority of people were blind to it. So we have to ask the question, how did they miss it? Some of these people knew their scripture. Some of them were aware of the the claims that Jesus was making and some of them would have even heard Jesus actually say these things. But yet they seemed ignorant to something that was straight in front of them. It's easy to do, isn't it? Maybe some of us have missed something staring us straight in the face. Sometimes we can miss the obvious, can't we? It was only last week that I was looking for my mobile phone while speaking to someone on the very mobile phone I was looking for. As humans, we can miss things. And this is certainly true with the Bible if we fail to pay attention or even fail to read it in the first place. I say this because not only were the events of the cross written about in advance, so was the event that we've been focusing on today, the resurrection of Christ. Now, I've deliberately led us to this point with prophecy in mind because, once again, the resurrection was foretold by Scripture and spoken about 
like Jesus, and yet so many people missed it. Maybe we can recall the time that Jesus told the Jews that he'd be risen from the dead. It was in John chapter 2, wasn't it? Where Jesus told them to destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And as we know, he was speaking about the temple of his body. The Jews, not being on the same page as, as Jesus, said it's taken 46 years to build this temple. How could you raise it up in three days? But it wasn't until later on when Jesus was raised from the dead that his disciples remembered what he'd said. Maybe we remember in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, shortly after Peter confessed to Jesus that he knew he was the Christ. Mark chapter 8 verse 31. And he, that's Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and then be killed, and after three days, rise again. It's pretty clear, isn't it? But just to make sure that this had really sunk in, Jesus reminds them again a week or so later. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So at this point, they've been told by Jesus himself that when he dies, it's not the end. In fact, his resurrection is is just about the beginning for believers, isn't it? That in just three days, Jesus will be risen, bodily resurrected, not as a ghost, but physically a man. And every single jot and tittle that had been foretold about his birth, his perfect sinless life, his death and his resurrection will have been fulfilled exactly like we were told it would be in scripture. The plan of salvation, the plan to redeem and reconcile sinners to a holy God was being executed exactly to the plan. And it's so important to remember because Christ's death wasn't a fly in the ointment. Satan didn't have the upper hand at this moment in some sort of supernatural tug of war. God wasn't on the defensive having to come up with a a new plan B because Jesus was about to die on a cross. This is the very plan that will and has already defeated Satan and Christ remains victorious. Jesus came for this very reason and he was and is still in complete control. Listen to this quote from Octavius Winslow. So completely was Jesus bent upon saving sinners by the sacrifice of himself. He created the tree upon which he was to die and nurtured from infancy the men who were to nail him to the accursed wood. All the depth of Jesus' love for sinners. Think about that. The very God his murderers were pinning to the cross was the God that all things were made through. They relied on him for their heart to beat and for the food that they ate and yet they remained so blind to who he was and what they were doing. And that what seems to the flesh like a loss is actually the hugest victory. This is 
and will only ever be plan A. And it's all going exactly according to plan, just like the Bible told us it would. But what happened next? Well, let's transport ourselves some 2,000 years back and go to the dawn of Resurrection Day, as recorded by two of the Gospels. In Matthew 28, verse 1, we're told that after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. But then interestingly, in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, we're given a little bit more information. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Where did you catch that? Because it's here where we can see in our text that it's obvious that although Jesus had predicted and, and talked about his resurrection, the two Marys along with the others were on a completely different page and didn't believe that he'd be resurrected. And how do we know that? Well, look what they were going to do. They were heading towards the tomb where Jesus had been laid dead and they were going there for the purpose of anointing his body with spices. That's what you do to a dead person. As they made their way to the tomb, the, the resurrection seemed to be so far from their mind, didn't it? From their conversation, they were more concerned about finding some people to roll away that huge stone that covered the tomb so that they could enter and take care of his body. They most certainly were not expecting to find an empty tomb, just as Jesus had told them that they would find. But as we'll read, they didn't have to, uh, to be concerned about how they were going to have that stone moved away from the tomb. Matthew chapter 28 from verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. So it's change of plan for the two Marys, isn't it? Jesus didn't need to be embalmed. His body, just as we were told in scripture, was no longer there. Now, we just need to pause for a second because it's far too easy, isn't it, for, for us to be a little bit wise after the event. Here we are 2,000 years later with the, the complete closed canon of scripture. Maybe we can find ourselves reading these accounts and thinking, well, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have acted like this. We might think ourselves into the text feeling superior, picturing ourselves faithfully waiting by the tomb, counting down the minutes for the third day and the, the promised resurrection. But wouldn't it serve us better to, to hold this up as a, as a mirror to our own lives and have scripture examine us? What have we missed? Maybe there's one or two here this evening or, or watching online that have missed the importance of the re resurrection itself. If you haven't been to church before, if you haven't ever really read the Bible before, 
Maybe you were completely unaware of the evidence of prophecy within its pages. Maybe like so many others, you thought that Easter was all about the eggs and the Easter bunny. And even if you are familiar with the Bible, it's possible to have missed the fact that the resurrection is a sign. It's absolute validation that Jesus is who he said he is. That Jesus is God himself and that he is alive today and he's at the right hand of the Father. You see, this is no small matter. The resurrection is confirmation that the, the payment that Jesus paid upon that cross in dying for sinners like you and I was accepted and paid for in full. This is good news. This means that it's absolutely possible to, to leave here this evening being fully confident in knowing that you have been reconciled to God in the knowledge that Jesus has settled your debt on your behalf. You could have arrived here this evening at enmity with God on your way to an eternity in hell and yet you could leave here as his friend being assured of eternity in heaven. And how do you do that? Because that's the most important question that anyone can ever ask, right? That you can be reconciled to God, forgiven and redeemed by acknowledging that you, just like I have, lived a life that has fallen far, far short of the glory of God. That we've broken his laws and that we are guilty of sin and fully deserving God's just judgment. And that's bad news, isn't it? That there is great news in the good news. That the day of salvation continues today. In that you and I can come wanting to turn away from the sin in our lives and instead receive his mercy and grace by putting our faith in Jesus. We turn from having any faith in, in other false gods. From having faith in ourselves or any hope of being a good enough person to merit eternal life. No. You do this knowing that the punishment that Christ took on the cross was on your behalf for your personal sin and that he paid for it fully on the cross and in exchange you will receive a righteousness of his perfect life and the free gift of eternal life. It's not something that we can earn. It's something that Christ has earned on our behalf and is offered as a free gift received by grace through faith. And it's through Christ's perfect life, through Christ's death and through his resurrection that we can have a confidence that we, just like Jesus has been, that we too will, will be resurrected on that last day given perfect new bodies and brought into a new, perfect, sinless creation. We don't become angels. We don't become ghosts. We don't end up spending the next however many years playing a harp on a cloud like you see in the movies. In eternity, we'll be brought to everlasting life in a perfect new heaven and earth, reconciled in the presence of the Lord, all foretold in the Bible. Just like the coming of a Messiah was, just like the cross and just like the resurrection, we can be so, so confident that the Lord will finish the work that he has started. 
Now, as I draw to a close, did you know that there are still hundreds of accurate prophecies written in Scripture detailing what is still yet to happen in our world today? And some of them are playing out right now. The Bible isn't a a dusty old book that has passed its sell-by date. It's the most accurate and future-proof book that exists, and it is inspired by God, the creator of the universe, who knows the beginning from the end. And God's not done. Jesus, who is in heaven right now, will one day return to earth at an appointed time, known as the second coming of Christ, where he will come to judge mankind. And it's at that time where we're told that the Lord will will come like a, a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come. We're told the Lord is coming in the clouds and that when he returns, every eye will see him. We're told to stay awake, for we do not know on what day the Lord is coming back. And I want us to close with this in mind. If you're here this evening and you've not yet come to Christ in faith, then you need to do so urgently. Just like Matthew's written in his gospel, you first need to spiritually wake up. There's not a person on this planet who can tell you when Jesus may return. And up until the second he does, or the moment you die, the way of salvation is open. And your need is urgent. Come to him, even this day, if that is you. Don't leave here this evening thinking that you might look into this one day, into the future, because that day may never come. And finally, if you are here this evening or or listening online and you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then as Matthew urges us, we need to stay awake. Are we living lives that is fitting for, for a people that is waiting for the Lord to return? Time may be short. Stay awake. Redeem the time. Bring glory to the Lord in all that we do. Amen. Let's pray.